Today is Sunday, April 14th, 2019, and this is episode 235 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell. So I'm sure you're all wondering, where has defensive security been for the past five weeks? Well, that's a great question. Unfortunately, Mr. Callet, who you probably have noticed is not here, uh, had a very, very serious medical condition, and uh, he ended up in intensive care for about a week, and he's, um, I think he's working on his third or fourth week of lost count now um, in being in the hospital, and I think he has to to undergo a few more surgeries before he'll be able to, uh, to get out. So, so please send good thoughts, happy thoughts, prayers, uh, whatever his way. So I find myself here once again talking to a microphone with no one on the other end to talk to, and I really can't wait until he's back in action and can be here. Until then, I am working on some Plan B backups, a stunt lurg, as you will, but I've been pretty busy with work and, and family life too, So, uh, but here, but here I am, right? So I do have a number of stories to talk about tonight. I'm sure they won't be nearly as entertaining, uh, especially if I have to make my own mom jokes. So anyhow, the first story comes from the register, and the title is Vengeful Sacked IT Bod Destroyed Ex-Employer's AWS account, Cloud Accounts. Now he'll spend the rest of 2019 in the clink. So um, a a person, and this all happened in the UK, uh, an, an employee who had the long, long tenure of, all, of four weeks working for a company named Vuva, uh, apparently was dismissed for uh, poor performance. And uh, he didn't take that very well. And so somehow he managed to uh, act, to gain access to the AWS credentials of one of his now former co-workers. Uh, he then proceeded to delete 23 servers from the uh, the AWS account of Vuva. And in the ensuing aftermath, Vuva apparently lost a number of pretty significant uh, customer accounts, and that caused them to have to uh, lay some of their employees off. So, um, you know, this is one of those, um, you know, unfortunately sad Examples where you can kind of see the direct linkage between, uh, you know, security issues, security incidents, and harming people directly. You know, normally when we talk about a data breach, it's credit cards, and you know, really, it's some nameless, faceless bank that ends up uh, being the the entity that loses uh, loses money or is is damaged. Uh, but you know, in this case, you can see it's uh, you know act- actual people. So he was tried and convicted, and uh, he was, I guess, sentenced to two years in prison, but apparently 
two years in prison doesn't really mean two years in prison. It means one year in prison. I I suspect that is some kind of metric conversion. Uh, but in, in any event, um, not too surprising. Sounds, uh, you know, certainly sounds like it's well or well-deserved uh, time. But, you know, th- this points out a, a, a fundamental problem. I've actually observed a lot with... Uh, organizations moving to the cloud you know that the cloud is a is a lot of wonderful things that can can be used uh, with you know great advantages over traditional uh, infrastructure but one of the things I really consistently see everywhere I go is kind of bad hygiene as it pertains to the credentials for the you know what I'll, what I'll call the uh, uh, the cloud account or the the management account for um, for cloud. We've seen in the past some fairly significant examples like um, like Code Spaces, uh, which we talked about a number of years ago. Uh, they were, as, as I recall, a GitHub type organization for storing source code, and you know basically overnight they were wiped out because all of their infrastructure. And all of their backups were hosted in AWS, and an adversary obtained access to their account or, or accounts and deleted everything, uh, both production, test, backup data, and so on. Um, one of the, you know, one of the I, 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 things I, I don't think we talk enough about in uh, in this new world of cloud is uh, best practices on how to manage. Those accounts, you know, for example, most cloud providers don't provide intra data center uh, redundancy or, or backup. You know, in terms of if the data center were to burn to the ground, uh, the, the the organizations basically going to say, you know, that was uh, really unfortunate, and they'll they'll set up a a new data center as they're able to. But as a customer, it was your responsibility or you know, my responsibility to have provisioned some type of an offsite backup, you know, maybe in a different region or, or what have you. But, you know, I also wonder if there's some kind of best practice about, you know, moving them between accounts. So assuming that one account becomes compromised, your main production account becomes compromised, it doesn't provide uh, an adversary the ability to delete uh, your backup data altogether, and then also, you know, on top of that, looking at opportunities to uh, have have completely offsite or off, I should say, offline backups, so that uh, you know, if your if your provider is completely hosed, that you still have the ability to recover your operations and your data. Uh, but certainly, in in this particular case, and I think the uh, there's a um, a comment in here from the CEO of Vuva, which indicated that they didn't have two-factor authentication on their their AWS accounts enabled, even though you know, that that would have helped. Um, it really does point out the the importance of that. And you know, again, it's really not very clear exactly how the uh, the bad guy here was able to get access to his former coworkers' uh, credentials. I mean, it could have been. A candy bar, a phishing email. It could have been a post-it note that he walked out the door with. Uh, so you don't don't really know. But 
uh, if you get when you get down to it, most um, you know, implementations of two-factor would you know either prevent that or make it a hell of a lot harder to pull off. All right, so moving on to our next story. This one comes from ZDNet. The title is Study Shows Programmers Will Take the Easy Way Out and Not Implement Proper Password Security. So not hopefully too surprising, uh, particularly given what we see on an almost daily basis being announced uh, and disclosed publicly about different websites having their badly stored passwords breached. Um, this um, this group of German academics ran a um, a study using freelance programmers, and they uh, they gave uh, basically we see this a lot in other contexts with uh, Mechanical Turk, uh, Amazon's Mechanical Turk, but they basically um, you know, quote hired freelance programmers to create the authentication uh, module for a hypothetical, uh, you know, fake social media site. And they divided the groups into, um, you know, into to different populations. One, they gave explicit instructions uh, that they wanted to have a, you know, quote, secure uh, handling of the passwords. And the other group, they didn't provide any. Um, in, in any event, they, oh, they also, um, they also split them up into, to, uh, groups of different pay amounts and found that, um, you know, the group they paid a hundred dollars to, uh, wasn't markedly worse than the group they paid $200 uh, to now, you know, $200 is not a ton of money, uh, depending on the amount of work here. I did find it very interesting and, and also kind of lines up with my experience. The, um, you know, after, receiving additional instructions from the researchers to actually implement password security. Uh, the the way that the um, these freelance programmers chose to implement password security is kind of interesting. Uh, eight of them apparently picked base 64 is their is their uh, chosen method, which um, apparently some of them at least uh, had had uh, disputed or argued with the researchers claiming that, it in fact was a uh, a, a safe way to, uh, to to handle the passwords. Um, Ten of them had you chose MD5. That was uh, far and away the most common. And then uh, you know, surprisingly, actually, seven did pick Bcrypt, which is uh, certainly uh, among the uh, the most preferred method. Um, less than half implemented any kind of a salt a password salt scheme. So, um, the the conclusion the authors of this, uh, or the author, I should say, of this uh, article draws is that you you really need to provide explicit instructions about exactly what you want when you're when you're documenting uh, the specification for something like this because the um, the programmers in general now I I suppose there's probably some sort of selection bias of of um, the types of programmers who hang out on freelance boards and willing to take a um, you know what appears to be a, a fairly sizable piece of work for a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars, um, but you know the the net point stands 
that if you're going to hire that out, you really shouldn't be completely uh, leaving it on the the programmer to understand what needs to be done in terms of security. I suspect if we were to extend this to other types of application security, you know, whether that's cross-site scripting or, you know, really anything else, we probably would see very similar results. So uh, again, it, it occurs to me, the lesson I walk away from this is really that, um, you know, especially in, in today's age of agile development, there's still an important uh, role for you know, well-designed, uh, re- detailed requirements. All right, the next story, there's actually two stories that are kind of uh, very similar, but like two different sides of the same, excuse me, the same coin. Um, the first one comes from Ars Technica, and it's a it's a very long and interesting read. And the title is Casino Screw-Up Royale, A Tale of Ethical Hacking Gone Awry. So um, a couple of security researchers uh, ended up identifying that a... Uh, the, the maker of a some casino software had a Jenkins server hanging out on the internet and was vulnerable. And uh, lots of details I'm, I'm omitting here, but the researchers contacted the company, and um, the company didn't take it. You know, they, they really didn't respond at all. And you know, part of that probably uh, was because of the the way in which the message was communicated apparently was um, was not a very professionally written, written uh, email, uh, which, by the way, I will um, I, I want to take just a a tangent a, a small tangent here. Being able to write well is a very important skill, and you know one of the things you and we all should and me as as well need to understand is that most of the time people form their opinions of our, um, you know, really about everything related to us based on what they read. You know, that's that's the first introduction and, and sometimes the only thing they know about us. And if we do a crappy job of writing, um, you know, that kind of sets the pace. But apparently in this particular instance, the email, I guess, went into the spam folder of the uh, the company in, in any event, uh, the FBI ended up getting involved, although not in the way that the FBI normally gets involved in such such uh, cases like this. Um, and the uh, you know the the software maker kind of to the bitter end was being very obstructionist and difficult to deal with, uh, and you know basically didn't want to um, you know admit any wrongdoing issued cease and desist letters to the, um, the these researchers to not talk about them. Uh, they actually um, you know, they actually got the FBI involved and um, and someone who had retweeted a story for, or a post from one of these researchers. So you know they they, um, they they really tried very hard to make um, you know make the live their the lives of these researchers as difficult as they could rather than just you know, accepting that they had an issue, acknowledging it, and moving on. Um, now, again, there's a lot of little minor details, like the um, the researchers at one point thought, thought that they were going to be getting paid, and, and so that kind of, um, I think, 
injected some friction into the the discussions. Uh, but in in any event, it was in my mind a example of how not to handle things. And so that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is something that just happened uh, this over over this past weekend. And this comes from the Matrix uh, Matrix.org's uh, blog, and the title is "We Have Discovered and Addressed the Security Breach." So Matrix.org, as you, um, as you as you may or may not know, is a peer-to-peer open source messaging platform. So it's kind of uh, similar in concept to like uh, the Mastodon Fediverse, but really focused on. Uh, messaging. So very similar in concept to uh, what happened with the in the previous story. Uh, this organization's Jenkins server was compromised. Now in the in the, the the previous story, there's no indication that a malicious party compromised the Jenkins server and they did anything bad. But then again, given that that company is so secretive, we don't really know anything. Um, um, whereas in the matrix dot, I'm, I'm going to really confuse everybody. It's not the matrix.org, it's matrix.org. In matrix.org's case, uh, they, they were breached apparently uh, via some recently discovered Jenkins vulnerabilities. And um, you know, in, in any event, the, uh, the, the matrix team here was very very upfront and and uh, transparent, and actually they were so transparent that uh, I, I I made a, a comment on Twitter, and the um, the Matrix uh, Twitter account actually responded back to me, and you know indicated that uh, this this Jenkins server was actually exposed to the internet by design to actually increase transparency to the uh, the community of users and developers. Uh, un- unfortunately, they didn't, as is often the case, right? They didn't understand uh, how that can go wrong. And, you know, one of the, really one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up, not only is an example of, uh, you know, a good way of handling a, this kind of situation and a bad way of handling this kind of situation, is that, IT automation and orchestration tools are, you know, at the same time, they're becoming increasingly pervasive and important. Uh, but, but also in that, in that same vein, their level of sensitivity goes up because they are, you know, they're now effectively one-stop shopping for an adversary who, um, you know, who wants to compromise your network and, it's not hard to imagine that's, that that um, you know some type of adversary who does you know end up with access to your Jenkins server, you know they can do a lot of things. They can push out um, uh, you know remote access trojans. They can push out um, ransomware and you know so on. The sky's the limit, really. And to me, that points out you know one one thing that I've not seen happening in concert with this, you know, rapid move towards automation and orchestration. And that is, you know, properly designing the control set around those environments. And I think that 
you know, really is going to be one of the, you know, one of our next major pain points in IT. You know, we're starting to see, um, you know, starting to see this type of thing happening. We've had some type, you know, some recent, you know, nation statey type attacks in the past. The uh, the Dark Soul attack back in uh, a number of years ago was alleged to have happened as the result of a um, a compromised IT orchestration system. There was the uh, uh, the managed service provider we talked about on one of the most recent episodes, where the uh, you know where, where the this piece of software was used both to manage the MSP clients systems, but once it was compromised, it was used to push out ransomware to customers of the MSP. So, you know, th- this I, I strongly believe is going to be one of the next major horizons for uh, for bad guys. And you know, of course, uh, you know, any astute listener will recognize that you know this certainly encompasses Active Directory. Active Directory is definitely in this bucket. Now, it's not one of the new, it's not part of the, the, the super cool CI, CD pipeline type uh, tool sets, but in concept, it's the same. It, it's a, it's a, a piece of infrastructure that most of the rest of your infrastructure ha- implicitly trusts, and the compromise of it can really be devastating for the entire organization. You know, it, I, I think that um, if I were to com- to contrast Active Directory though with something like Jenkins, development type systems tend to be kind of relegated, uh, in terms of importance at least, um, you know, to a, a lower level. You know, that we often allow longer patch time frames and. Um, you know, and so on, because it's not a quote production system. If it goes down, if it gets hacked, if you know whatever, the um, the customer won't know, right? They they'll certainly know if the system, you know, the internet facing website that um, you know that Jenkins ultimately controls, by the way, is if that's compromised, you know, the client will certainly know that. We'll have to disclose data breaches if uh, you know if there's any kind of data on there, um, but. You know the reality is that the um, orchestration tools like Jenkins and you know Ansible Tower and um, Puppet and Chef and so on. You know the all of these tools are really kind of no longer relegated to some dev lab, right? These are these often have the ability to um, to reach into many or if not all of an organization's production infrastructure. And that's, you know, kind of a dangerous thing. And I, I really do believe that, um, again, w- we have to get on top of this before the adversaries start, you know, really trying hard to target these things. You know, by the way, it's certainly possible that, um, you know, if you have, Let's say Jenkins. You know, it, it's um, it's possible. I suspect very strongly to create kind of targeted automated attacks that leverage, you know, these these tools. So you know, you don't necessarily even have to be hands-on keyboard as an adversary to leverage um, Jenkins. If you're, you know, let's say you uh, you write some type of a worm, which 
you know, we've we've seen similar types of things with with not pet yet. Now, granted, we all firmly believe that was you know Russian launching Russia launching cyber war against the Ukraine, but you know the reality is there's there's not a lot of uniqueness that a a much more pedestrian adversary couldn't pull off, especially now that the concepts are out in the public. So anyway, that's a long way to say, you know, treat this, the, treat these, uh, these new systems for managing your, your DevOps with the appropriate care, right? They are important systems. They're not in general, just, you know, kind of lab systems. They need to be well protected. They need to be patched. Um, they need to be probably not accessible to everybody on the internet. Um, I, I, I do realize that, you know, zero trust is the, uh, the new buzz, but unfortunately zero trust breaks down if your application like Jenkins has some sort of flaw and you've, you've, you know, you've closed off all the other uh, mechanisms. So in any event, um, I do think this is uh, uh, going to be, going to be a, a an area that we'll be dealing with in the future so plan accordingly so so that is the show for tonight um just uh just a reminder to keep andy in your thoughts and prayers and uh you know if you follow him on twitter give him give him a a shout out tell him that you wish him well and um i certainly do and look forward to having him back on on the show so Anyway, have a great week, everyone, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Bye.